I'm your health coach, Melissa Lee. Here at Thriving with Nourishment Health, I provide women with the resources to reclaim fertility and celebrate periods through the lens of functional medicine. It is time to empower ourselves with natural solutions over band-aid medicines. We will get to the root cause of symptoms to see the bigger picture. Let us find the ability to heal ourselves, get back to Mother Nature, and live in a healthier world. Hi everyone, say hi to Dr. Becky Lee, a cancer thriver for over 20 years, a naturopathic doctor with a special focus in cancer and a cancer coach. Her heart and, uh, her heart and practice is in helping women just like her thrive after cancer treatment, treatments through her Femi Thrive Method Cancer Recovery Program. So today we're going to be talking about cancer, breast cancer, um, how hormones are associated with cancer, and what are the targeted approaches to help someone not only prevent cancer from recurring, but also move forward to optimal health. So welcome, Dr. Becky. Hi, it's so nice to be here. And thank you for having me on your podcast. I was very intrigued by your story. So um, why don't we go ahead and jump into it? So you're a survivor of cancer, which in of itself is very transformative and incredibly powerful. So could you tell us more about your experience? Absolutely. So um, I actually had cancer when I was 16 um, and it was misdiagnosed for a number of years. So they had initially thought um, it was lipoma. Lipoma is just like a fat lump basically. Um, and I found it on my lower right back at the time. So I probably had found it actually when I was 10 and over the six year period of time, I times, but um, was always told the same thing. It's a lipoma. If you wanna get it removed for um, aesthetic reasons, right? You just wanna get it out because it doesn't look nice. You can do that at some point. And so by the time I actually um, was diagnosed was actually accidental. I went into the doctors to say, you know, I'm 16. I want to start wearing <laughs> clothes and not worrying about this lump that kept growing over the years. Slowly, yes, but it was still much larger than it had been before. Um, and I didn't want to worry about it. You know, in gym class when I'm changing, I didn't want people to look at it. Oh yeah, for sure. Conscious, yeah. At 16, like anything really um, can tip you over there. And so I went in to get it removed, thinking that it was just a fat lump, thinking that that was it. Um, if there's anyone that's ever been like diagnosed with anything or has gone to the doctor and has been told something negative, there's a moment in time, I think that sometimes you just feel like something's not going to go right, you know, and I could tell even getting that lump removed that like this didn't feel fully right? Like something about how the doctor was behaving and maybe like the silence in the room um, mm. really tipped me off to like, this isn't going to be just like this easy thing that I thought it was going to be, but I didn't really know or understand what that really meant. I just didn't have a good feel at that point. And I remember that. Um, and soon after, yeah, we got a call. They said it wasn't a fat lump after all. They could tell as soon as like, as soon as he cut into it, you could tell it wasn't a fat lump. So usually with um, cancers in general, there's a lot of like blood vessels that form around it because it tries to feed the cancer cells. And mm -hmm. I think that's what he saw essentially when he, when he went to cut in um, that again, it should have been just like a fat fatty tissue that he saw. And that wasn't the case. Right. They sent up a pathology. Um, they diagnosed me. I was treated at Princess Margaret hospital in Mount Sinai. Um, they've got a sarcoma sort of department there. And that's what it ended up being was synovial sarcoma. 
um, Melissa, it's a really rare cancer. It's like one in okay. a million will get it, right? Oh, like, that's I, crazy. So mm -hmm. I know. So of course, I'm that one in a million that that ended up getting it. And even more rare to have it on someone that's so young. Mm -hmm. um, so most of the times when I went to the doctors, I used to pretend like I was there with a grandparent, even though nobody might have looked like me. I just I found it so odd that I was like the only person that was maybe 16 there every time. Yeah. Right. Um, and so that's sort of how I got diagnosed. I got surgery. And thankfully, because, you know, there was so much fear around like, um, you know, had it spread to the lungs because, you know, it had been years since I had initially found it. And that's usually where it first spreads. If that was the case, there were a lot of restrictions on what type of treatments they could give me. Um, really chemotherapy would have been the only thing. And the prognosis was super poor if that was the case. So thankfully, and I'm so blessed and um, that, you know, he was able to get clear margins um, during surgery. Um, and I was followed up for 10 years after that to just ensure that it didn't spread post that. So, um, so that was sort of my cancer journey, but out of that, and also my mom going through something, I guess, similar, she had a brain tumor when I was nine. Mm. So that was part of the reason why, like my care was sort of pushed back a lot because the same, around the same time I found the lump, my mom was actually having seizures and a lot of other different things happening with her. She would have been in her thirties at that point. And then later on, we found out that it was actually a brain tumor. I she see. had to get an emergency surgery. So really just to say that all of these experiences sort of led me to where I am right now, working with um, the people and the women that I work with now is because I have this passion and I understand fully what it feels like to be both in the sort of caregiver side um, of someone who's going through something like pretty traumatic with their health. Mm -hmm. But also like on the side of being like have gone through something like cancer and, and understanding what that feels like and how it impacts you even after, right, um, was pretty transformative for me, I think, as well in my life. Yeah. And I also think like the women that you serve now, they must be so like <clears throat> they probably can hear or feel your empathy knowing that, you know, you've gone through that, too. Um, I had a couple of questions there. So like when you had that lump, right, like did you that, did you have any other symptoms? Because, you know, people would start to feel other things usually or hair like no. nothing at all. So that's no. why you felt like it was like like everyone yeah. thought it was like benign or something benign um yeah. you know had I known uh back then I might have pushed to have like it biopsied or something right like had right. I known. but again it's like one in a million you know I can't really blame the doctor for not necessarily pushing forward because it you know for all intents and purposes I, I know what a lipoma feels like and it felt like that it looks like that the only and maybe other people with lipomas will feel the same way too I think the difference for me was that it kept growing um, mm. and also that there was a bit of tenderness and pain there um, sometimes, especially when it was hit, but there was no other symptoms. Um, actually, sarcoma, that presentation would have been very unique for it as well, because usually it happens in the joints more um, oh, as well. So, you know, to have it found on my back too was <laughs> completely like out of character as well or not as common. Um, mm -hmm. And also to be young and, and being diagnosed also not as common, I would say, um, although obviously there are, um, but yeah, no, not at all. So a lot of times we don't know. Yeah. Do you think it's like sort of genetic or, I mean, cause like you were so young too, right? Like, yeah. I think people would also tend to wonder like, 
you know, why would I get cancer if I'm so young or if I'm active or like, you know, you're not in like a certain kind of lifestyle or whatever. Like, do you think it was genetic on your part? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question because I think, you know, there's probably some things about my genetic makeup that make me more susceptible maybe than others for certain types of things, right? And maybe including this. The other really interesting thing is I think there was a big environmental factor. So what I want to explain to you is I actually grew up in South America. So I was born in uh, Brazil, but lived in Paraguay for nine years. But the location where we lived, we lived in Asuncion, and it's like the capital city of Paraguay at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, We lived in the same home as my uncle and my aunt. My aunt is related to my dad. All just to say that um, the four of us that ended up with something later on in life were not actually... um, directly necessarily related except for me and my mom so both my uncle and my aunt who lived in that same building at some point Mm. um, they both had brain tumors and one of the uh, my uncle unfortunately passed away from it my aunt um, Mm. was doing well post-surgery and then my mom also had a brain tumor again all those three relatives would have not been related except for me and my mom and I had a completely different type of situation than all three of Mm -hmm. them yeah so yeah we I mean we lived there for a number of years so to me I feel like yes there's a genetic predisposition maybe for a few of us right because my dad had lived there my brother had lived there you know thankfully no one else had any issues with their health and yet the four of us who also lived in that same house um, had different types of like brain tumor or cancer and that sort of stuff as well. So definitely, I think there was an environmental component and potentially a genetic component that made us more susceptible. Um, the cool thing though, about that, Melissa, is that like there, there's this theory around epigenetics and I don't know if you've um, heard about it. Yeah. Just tell us more. Yeah. So epigenetics is like, you know, even though we may be, uh, in a position where, we're just a bit more predisposed to different types of diseases, including cancer, um, just how our genetic built makeup is, that there's also other factors that can play a part in how those genes actually express themselves or the types of diseases that we actually do get by things like how we eat, our exercise, our stress, like all those things that they actually impact um, our health in many ways so that in some way, we have a little bit of like control in the expression (laughs) of our genes, right? Mm -hmm. And that to me seems so powerful, because that meant that I could do things to help prevent it from coming back. For example, you know, I always say like, we can't control 100% of everything, obviously, right? Um, And unfortunately, as of yet, we don't have a cure for everybody that has cancer. But the idea that there's some way to sort of manipulate our internal environment and the way that our gene even works or genetics expresses themselves, I think is, is pretty powerful to me and how I, I like to function, that we have some control in some things and those other things that we can concentrate on um, and try and change basically. Yeah, I think epigenetics is also sort of like the root of uh, integrated functional uh, naturopathic yes. medicine, right? Like, yeah. Um, yeah, we, our choices on a daily basis has so much importance uh, when it comes to turning on or off genes. I just want to say that whole uh, backstory about like the environmental factor that you guys had, like living in that building. I actually think that's a really big one. Toxicity 
it's a huge root cause of chronic illness and yeah i'm i'm so glad you brought that up because we can talk a little bit more about that too yeah absolutely you know i was talking to some of the women in my fem thrive method program um just recently about our toxic mm. exposures and we go through that in the program too but further to that, it was more about like, it's, it's not like it's going to take a day and then that impact is just going to relate into something that's really traumatic for us in terms of our health. It really takes that like constant exposure over time. But the exposures also impact the way that things like our liver function, right? Like our liver is there to, to try and clean up the stuff that it can and get rid of the bad stuff as much as possible. How I sort of describe it or, um, you know, illustrate it to people is you know think of our liver or our detox pathways right all the things that try and keep all those toxins away from our body from doing too much damage as sort of this bucket and like the more we keep filling it up the more work our liver has to do and over time it can overflow and our, our liver can only do so much and our detox pathways can only do so much and so even um, trying to minimize as much of the um, toxic exposures that we have on a daily basis is actually really helpful for us, um, for our health to like allow our bodies to be able to do what they normally would do in terms of like releasing some of that stuff and getting rid of it. Um, um, and just, yeah, you know, allowing our hormones to be able to balance all that kind of stuff, because all of these toxic exposures actually impact our health in so many different ways, whether it's mm. hormone related or, you know, immune system related, there's so many ways that it can impact us. And it can certainly also increase our risk for different types of cancers as well. Um, and so it's, it's truly, really important. I also want to say though, that for a lot of people, this part feels almost like, man, I can't control this. Like there's so much, right? Like it right. feels overwhelming. Um, I remember like when people would come to see me in office and we talk and we were talking about toxic, toxic exposures that oftentimes people sort of like had this like white glow to face. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, it's like everywhere. Mm -hmm. Right. But really, truly, we just concentrate on a few things at a time and change those things at a time and over time that that has some impact too. Um, so it doesn't have to be overwhelming. We can do it in a step-by-step -step manner. And it's not like your liver is so incapable anyway. Like if we give it like good antioxidants or like, you know, nutrients and minerals, right. From our foods, like it can do quite a bit. Like the Absolutely. fact that a lot of us are already, you know, pretty like, like have a lot of toxins in us and we're still living. I think it shows yeah. us that our liver is like pretty powerful. Uh, yeah. You mentioned that um, earlier that, you know, there's a lot of things that is kind of related to cancer, like immune system wise and also hormones. Mm -hmm. um, so that leads me to my next question. Like how is our hormones associated with cancer? So um, specifically for women, I think we, we when we t talk about cancers, there's always like, you know, um, the cancers that are driven by hormones specifically, right? So like breast type cancers and other cancers mm -hmm. as well, like that endometrial and, and that sort of stuff. When we look at, um, the cancer types. So not all the breast cancers are driven by estrogen or progesterone. You know, there's a HER2 mu as well that it could be driven by. So there's many multiple factors for different types of cancers. We do know that though, with like, um, especially like when we try and, and get onto hormone uh, therapy, post-menopause to sort of um, decrease some of those symptoms that it may be actually more beneficial to look into some more natural ways of doing that because some of these hormone 
therapies can actually increase our risk for things like breast cancer and endometrial type cancers as well. It's very critical that you talk to your doctor about it um, just to ensure that you're on the right type of meds, even for that kind of stuff. But for the women that I work with, I like to work in that more natural framework of like, okay, if we're looking at your hormones and trying to balance those out, there's so many ways that we can do that without going straight to medications first, Mm -hmm. um, including the foods that we eat. So for example, for hot flashes, oftentimes just putting people on like a really targeted type of diet to decrease some of those symptoms can actually make a huge difference. And they might not need more than that. Um, You know, and, and stress factors, we know that cortisol, for example, and any sort of stress in our bodies can also increase some of those symptoms. So hot flashes, again, being a key thing that a lot of women suffer from that come to me, um, where we can still balance that out again with some stress um, resiliency strategies. I talk about stress Mm -hmm. resiliency because I hate to say, okay, when we talk about, oh, you know, you can't be stressed out. You got to lower that stress. It actually mm-hmm. stresses people out more. Yeah. Right. Like, they're like, oh my God, I can't stress out right now. I feel like I'm stressed out about this and this and this. And now like, it's going to make everything worse for me. That's actually not the purpose of, of what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is um, when I mean stress resiliency, I mean, we're going to have stress in our lives at some point or other. It's just normal. So we have to anticipate that that's going to happen, that that's a completely normal thing to happen and not pathologize it. Like, you know, it's, it's something that's really, truly horrible. What comes from that is like how we respond to that stress, right? Because again, those stress factors can influence our hormones and other things as well. So can we respond to that stress a little bit better? And then we come up with strategies on how to do that. And everyone has a little bit of a different strategy. I think that's Mm -hmm. why I love that cancer coaching component too, is that there's knowledge in you already. We just got to bring it out, right? Like you've gone through stress before and you know how your body has dealt with it and how it's come back from it and what the strategies have been that work best for you. Cause the strategies that work for you may not work for me. And that's the same with like hormone balancing as well, that there's a lot of strategies out there but there's like small differences at work, you know, more optimally for one person versus another. Um, But that's where I would say like, you know, um, there's so many ways that we can, again, work to balance out those hormones, including the diet, exercise, stress component, all that kind of stuff to help get us to our optimal health. When Mm. we do that, we're naturally just going through the same route that we would for prevention of cancers or other types of diseases, for example, right? Um, And that also includes things like insulin. Insulin is a huge hormone that we need to consider, not only because it has a factor in how we gain weight and all that kind of stuff or how we lose weight or inability to, but it also impacts um, insulin-like growth factors, which also like are used um, or may sort of stimulate the growth of cancer cells and all that kind of stuff. So again, another reason why hormone balancing is so critical is it has many, many different ways that it can impact our health in general. Nice. So you talked about, um, I like that blood sugar piece. I felt like that usually is not related to cancer, Um, but yes, it is. And then also the stress piece. Um, You did mention like, uh, you know, taking more natural alternatives to like synthetic hormones. So were you like talking about like uh, bioidentical progesterone, for example, or like, um, you know, I know that some women, they try not to take any hormones at all, especially after menopause, because they're afraid of like, you know, estrogen mediated cancers and all that. Um, what, what do you, what do you think? 
In my practice in general, everyone practices a little bit different. I like to steer mm-hmm. clear of anything that looks like that's, you know, even a bioidentical hormone or a right. hormone. So I, okay. I tend to steer away a little bit more from that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some argumentation, you know, for it as well. And some, some docs prefer to work that way. For me, it's more about, okay, let's work on it on a root cause level and um, sort of look at more of the natural herbs out there that may mm, be beneficial. Maybe there's some other things as well that we can do and also diet, exercise, all the fundamentals. The thing about supplements too is like they can't work their best if we don't take care of all the other basic stuff. Right. And it ends up being that a lot of people don't necessarily then get the benefits from the supplements they're taking. And I can tell you for a fact that a lot of people are taking a lot of supplements because they, they hear about it or someone tells them about it or, you know, and that would have been me too. Cause I, you know, now it's so easy to look on Google and be like, okay, I've got this symptom. What, what do I need to take? The other thing that I would caution around that though, is anytime you're taking like any herbal um, supplements or anything like that, if you're on any type of medications, even um, mm-hmm. We need to ensure that they're not contradicting each other in terms of what they're trying to do. Um, if we're also looking at, you know, um, things like even estrogen and, and all that kind of stuff that we, we need to be mindful of how this herb could potentially um, affect that. Um, for some herbs, even like if we were, we're looking at increasing testosterone, for example, right? Because a lot of women might've lost their libido and that they think, okay, if I increase my testosterone, this may be helpful to me. Um, Mm -hmm. So they start taking something that does that. When we look at the pathways for the hormones, testosterone actually can be converted to estrogens as well, right? Right. There's an aromatase there that can do that. Um, Which means that if you do already have a sort of an estrogen related type cancer that's driven by that, or you're more prone to, you know, symptoms that are high estrogen related or whatever it might be that tweaking one of these like hormones can also impact the other ones, right? Which right. Some people may not think about, but that's why it's so critical for, for anyone to just, you know, ensure that before you even take some of the natural things that you're working with someone that actually knows what the potential um, contraindications might be or interactions with the medications you're on. Maybe it can impact some of your health concerns already, right? Making mm-hmm. it worse. Um, and then, you know, they can guide you on some things that are really critical for you to do, but always looking at that basic stuff, like the, the diet, the exercise, the, all of that stuff is so critical. Um, Cause you know, what I say is sometimes we take these supplements, but it's, it, they just turn into really expensive pee, right? Let's yeah. Out right. Mm-hmm. Um, so we want to make sure that it's actually targeted to the person. I like how you um, talked about how the hormones play together. They're like almost like a dance together. Yeah. Um, and that's very important because it's not like, you know, certain teas can just do certain things. Um, and yeah, so I'm glad that you talked about that and how it all like kind of intersects. Also, if anyone's like listening to this and you hear my cat mewing, he is really wanting the attention right now <laughs> uh, cute. yeah um okay so you know when we talk about we did talk about breast cancer a little bit mm-hmm. and talked about the hormones um my question for you was like uh what can we do to prevent getting breast cancer and i guess you already started talking about it right like the stress piece and the diet piece are there any other like you know things that we should kind of look out for and look like what them. age that yeah. we should start looking out for, mm-hmm. you know, to be honest, I think we're with cancer specifically now, because, um, the stat the statistics are kind of 
you know, scary in that like one in two of us will be affected by cancer sometime in our lifetime. Um, mm. And that's the same in Canada as it is in the States, one in two or one in three. Um, that's really high. That's high. I did not know that. No. Oh. And a lot of people don't know that. That's why mm. it's so critical for us. I, I always say, you know, prevention is actually the best strategy for a cure. Because mm-hmm. if we can do a lot of things to prevent, but not just because we're thinking, okay, I'm scared of cancer. I don't want to get cancer. It's really about how do I want to live today and every day, right? At right. my optimal state, essentially. So some of the things that people really should start um, doing is, you know, the breast exams for themselves. So when you're, you know, before you go into the shower in the shower and that sort of thing, just sort of familiarizing yourself with what it feels like normally, right? Mm-hmm. And it could feel differently Um, during different parts of your cycle as well, and familiarizing yourself with how your body actually is on even in that cycle really helps because then you'll be able to identify a lot quicker when things really feel a bit off, right? And then get that checked. So the critical part too here is that oftentimes we might feel something, but we think "Mm, it's probably okay. It'll probably go away and and that sort of stuff. Yeah, It is more prudent, yeah, to get Mm -hmm. actually checked out um, earlier than later, as soon as we start feeling something that we don't like wait on it, um, that we start to, you know, reach out to our doctors, get those yearly or, you know, every two years, get a physical and that sort of stuff as well. Your pap's done when they're meant to be done. All of that kind of stuff is really critical. If you have a family history of breast cancer, this is even more important. Mm. Um, and certainly if they've found, um, in somebody in your in your in your family that there may be a genetic component to more critical to even be more on top of that um it's not to say that this is the main driver of everything but you know again catching it earlier is actually much better than waiting on it um and so that the checkup will be very critical and um, important for prevention and that sort of stuff as well. Um, the other thing that I normally say is, you know, I definitely, you know, even in our twenties and thirties, start doing it right. Like mm-hmm. start early because a lot of times now we're finding women that are coming in with cancers at a much younger age than we were used to. Same thing with like stuff like colorectal cancer patients. I'm finding a lot of women that are being diagnosed in their thirties, right. Versus, you know, what we thought about in the fifties, that's no longer the case. Things are changing and uh, we need to start adapting for that change as well. And so some critical things that we talked about for prevention is really all of the fundamental stuff that we would do to optimize our health, to feel our best, to like really be able to live these purposeful lives is how I want to say, it, right? You're meant, you're here for a reason and we mm-hmm. want to take care <laughs> of you, right? That should be yes. our number one priority mm-hmm. um, because when we do that, we can actually live out our lives the best way possible. We can look back and say, you know what? That was a full life that I lived. And I lived it feeling my best. And we want to do that, whether we're talking about cancer or not cancer, right? That's just how I would want everyone to be living. But if we're looking at those things then diet becomes really critical because that's what fuels our body, right? You want to feel it the right way. You want to take away the stuff that doesn't serve your body. And one thing um, is limiting alcohol. There's a lot of research in terms of cancer prevention in general, both for breast and colorectal and many different types of cancers, where we know that the more we drink, the more inf- 
a chronic inflammation we have in our body, the more it can impact our health in many different ways. And part of that means that it increases our risk for different forms of cancers again. There are many different ideas out there, but some of the research even states that like any amount of alcohol can potentially increase your risk of cancer, right? I can hear many women yeah. just like, no, no, I At know. Point, yeah, absolutely. But what I say is there is a sense of like, we can still do the other stuff, right? And drink mm-hmm. in moderation. Drink in moderation for me would be more like, you know, maybe three um, servings a week and no more than that for a woman um, or three to four. And then we look at, you know, no more than two servings at a time, basically, you know, so allow your liver to actually be able to detox or like work through metabolize that alcohol and get rid of the stuff that it doesn't need. Um, I know for a lot of people we rely on it to, um, you know, de-stress and all that kind of stuff as well. And certainly on on special occasions, like I'm all about moderation, right? Where we can enjoy some of these things, not have it create a huge impact on our health. You know, keep in mind too, that it's, it's more about like how frequently and for how long we've been doing the same thing, right? It doesn't happen overnight. These changes in our body that are either beneficial or not take a bit of time. That's why consistency is so important too, even when we're looking at, you know, improving our health. And Mm so um, all the damage that happens doesn't happen all at once. It's going to happen over a number of, of, you know, maybe days, years, weeks, or whatever it might be, depending on um, what we're doing to it. But definitely decreasing alcohol is one of those things. Um, There's also data to show that like, you know, is wine better? Is like beer better? Like what what types of Mm -hmm. alcohol is better? (laughs) To be honest, um, some of the data that's showing around for cancer says that it really doesn't matter which type it is. Um, in terms of the risk, it's okay. all, it's more about the amount that we're drinking, right? Because again, yeah. how much can our liver um, detoxify for us and metabolize out and all that kind of stuff as well. Um, certainly there's more data around um, wine and specifically red wine with some of the benefits there. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, to be, you know, to be careful with that and just drink it in moderation is also really key when you are having it, definitely enjoy it. Um, but you know, keep in mind that we just don't want to have too much at once or too much in a period of time, essentially. Um, and I know that's so different, especially when we're younger, right? Because yeah, <laughs> I'm sure everyone went through that stage as well, where it, you know, and, and maybe even now it's something that we have with dinner every night. And so it's something that we can start to like, you know, maybe go back a little bit on. And so maybe we don't have it every night. Maybe we've mm-hmm. got it on certain occasions and Friday is like our big day and that sort of stuff. That's a pretty big one. Exercise is also a pretty big one. We know that it can decrease our risk of cancer, but many other types of diseases as well. But it's also so critical for like how our hormones are able to balance out our cortisol and stress response and um, even our insulin and all that and that response as well, that there's so many different pathways that it works on for us. That's why we want to get in that physical activity too. Um, and you know, the time that we don't eat is just as critical as the time that we do eat. I think we don't talk about it enough, but there's a lot in terms of how, you know, when we go back to insulin and how that insulin works, if we're snacking all the time, we're raising insulin levels all the time and raising those insulin levels sometimes can make us more prone to insulin resistance over time and Mm -hmm. weight gain and other health issues as well. So we want to have periods of time where we're actually not eating, right. That we're, we're having, um, our meals at sort of around the same time so that our body can start to, um, 
anticipate when it's going to get its fuel and its energy. When we starve ourselves too much and for too long, that's when we start also affecting our hormone balance and creating sort of a stress response in our body, right? When are we going to get that next meal? If I'm not going to get that next meal soon and I, I can't anticipate it, I'm going to start storing all the fats that I can because I know that there's going to be some fasting periods where I can't anticipate food. Um, so it's also about like sort of not stressing the body out. We know there's a lot of around intermittent fasting too. And mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar. That's with my it. next question for you when you're talking yeah. about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great one. We know that it helps with many different things, especially around um, even type two diabetes. Um, there's docs in Toronto. I know that we're working on programs to help type 2 diabetes patients with intermittent fasting to help, um, you know, essentially decrease that insulin resistance, right? And make their mm -hmm. bodies a little bit more sensitive to insulin levels as well. Um, we know that it can help with things like um, health goals that you've got, you know, whether it's balancing out some hormones, although we want to make sure that we don't do it too long. There's so many different ways of doing it. So it's really critical that you work with someone to figure out you know, how long you should be doing it for, but there's yeah. a lot of good data around breast cancer specifically where intermittent fasting for at least 13 hours a night has been seen as really beneficial in terms of cancer prevention as well. So that's where I talk about, you know, yes, it's important that we are uh, paying attention to the foods that we eat, but it's yeah. also critical that we're paying attention the timing. to the times that we're not eating. Okay. Got yeah. it. So that's a, that's really good info. And I think, you know, it's not super new info like I feel like people mm. have heard about intermittent fasting and like you know blood sugar regulation um especially like PCOS women like that's a really important part um, about the lifestyle um that's really great I love all the targeted approaches I had a quick question when you were talking about kind of way back now uh when you're talking about um, you know, trying to find if there's any lumps like in your breast tissue, for example, that's not normal. Um, are there any other signs besides like a physical lump that could indicate cancer? Or is that, um, you know, just it, like breast cancer specifically? You mean? Yeah, for example, like, yeah. So for breast cancers, usually they tend to be like lymph node enlargements that people feel. So your okay. lymph nodes are right underneath your armpits. Mm -hmm. and so that's why it's so critical. I mean, you know, you anyone can look up, it's hard to like, you know, tell you exactly how you should do yeah. it, but you can look it up online too. There's many, many different videos out there right now on how to do a proper uh, physical breast exam on yourself. Mm -hmm. But basically part of it does entail that you go underneath your arm and under your armpit to mm -hmm. try and see if there are any lymph nodes that are enlarged. You do the same thing also above your clavicle here um, and around your neck, just to see like if there's any other lymph nodes enlarged there, because sometimes before you feel the lump, you may feel that especially if the lump is deep inside or you've got, you mm -hmm. know, some of us have fibrocystic breasts. So we like, there's lumps everywhere. Right. And so right. to feel like, oh, this one might be um, something that we're concerned about versus another one. You may not feel that necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, you know, certainly there's like those other lymph node um, signals that may signal that as well. If you do feel a lump that, you know, is it immobile? Is it moving or is it not moving? Um, some of the characteristics, does it feel like different from what you're normally used to? And this is why it's so critical that you know what your baseline um, feels like normally. Mm -hmm. um, and all those things can be really critical as well. And also because sometimes you may not be the one that can really palpate and feel properly. 
Yeah. Yes. Those physical exams, going to the doctor and actually getting it done um, is so important because they can feel different things that you may not be able to feel, right. And you may not pay attention to. Um, And so again, just, you know, and I did my physical not long ago as well, because I wanted to prioritize it for myself. I think a lot of us tend to push it off so much. Mm-hmm. And my doctor is super great about making sure that she does my breast exams. So if it's something that your doctor's not doing right now, you need to ask for them to do every time you go in for your physical, mm-hmm. please ask them to, to go and check that out for you as well. Got okay. it. Okay. Yeah. That's important one. Mm-hmm. But yeah, sometimes we don't like outside of the lumps potentially that you might feel some women, you know, um, I mean, I don't want to go into all of the things because then people will be like, oh my gosh, is this it too, right? But mm-hmm. really, truly at the, at the root of it is like, do your breast exams, also get your physicals done. If mm-hmm. anything feels weird, go to the doctor. You know your body best. Don't let anyone question you on that, right? Right, yeah. Go to your doctor and get it checked out. It's better safe than sorry. And it's better to, to have done it than not. Um, and yeah, that would be my, my biggest advice because I think most times, we wait too long rather than going in. That's often the case. I actually had a, an experience where my lymph or like this area, okay, like this area below my chin was kind of swollen and I felt like that was like a lymph node. And I was like, wait, why is this swollen? But it kind of went away after like two weeks, which is kind of long. But um, yeah. yeah, that definitely, like anything, I think physical that's not normal would kind of just trigger us to be like, hmm. Yeah. And like with breast cancer, it wouldn't be um, on the neck so much, but like sort of under the clavicle, like above it, like that sort of near, I guess, the breast area. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, yeah, certain things. Yeah. If it starts, Mm -hmm. if all the other ones start popping up, then definitely, you know, get checked Mm -hmm. out for other things as well. Yeah. Like what it might sound like for you might have been like um, either a viral infection or something, some sort of infection. I felt like, yeah, yeah. like it was fighting hard to kind of decrease it because I was like, wait, why is this so big? (laughs) I have difficulty swallowing right now yes it can get quite big actually Mm -hmm. for sure especially when you're feeling sick and that sort of stuff absolutely Um, and the lymphatic system is really important too to like filter out all these bad things Mm -hmm. that our body needs to get rid of right it's a really critical component for immune system so um, so it does a lot of good work there too that we don't always give it credit for but (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's a little bit uh, behind the scenes yes (laughs) well I think um, we can wrap it up for today but I really appreciate all the information that you shared um, about you know about ways to prevent cancer but also how to target it and I think this is like the first episode that I have someone on talking about cancer like and how it's related to hormones and lifestyle so um, thank you for your time like how you know if someone is kind of you know maybe kind of going through that or they want to know more about you where can they find you um so i'm on facebook actually i'm at dr becky nd um, on facebook and i'm on instagram as well as thrive.nd as well nd for naturopathic doctor um and um you know they can you, you can definitely email me at becky at dr becky nd com I think is my email now <laughs> where there's been so many changes here but um yeah. yes that should be my email um but yeah definitely reach out um if anyone needs it we also have for women who either have or not just women but anyone who's sort of done um post-treatments of mm-hmm. cancer or you know they just want to join a group because they're looking 
forward to that time when they can move on from cancer and sort of start working on that cancer recovery phase, which is so critical for me. Right. Um, We have a cancer survivor to thriver community in Facebook right now. We've got over a thousand members in there currently. And, you know, it's a wonderful group. Um, You know, we've got caregivers in there. We've got people that just wanted to find out more to just sort of optimize their health. They have no history of cancer at all. And certainly people with cancer as well, um, who just have built this community so we can help to support ourselves. If you're finished all your cancer treatments and you're looking for that, like, what do I do now? Because we're often left sort of not knowing what else we should be doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And you want to recover from the side effects and, you know, work on uh, prevention, all that kind of stuff. I do have a program for, for women uh, called the Femme Thrive Method that people can join me and um, reach out to me that way. So there's- That's many, awesome. Yeah, and I, yeah, I love it. hope everyone can sort of, you know, get that motivation to like really go for it. Like, um, I think the biggest message for, for everyone, I would say is like, this life only comes once, right? So we want to do mm-hmm. everything we can to optimize our health not just because of cancer. I hate to think that we're living in fear or anxiety or anything like that. Really be focused on what your purpose is, how you want to be purpose-driven and what you need to do in order to live your best life, living out that purpose. I think mm-hmm. that's the best way to go at our health too, is being driven by by something like purpose rather than fear or anxiety or all those right. things. Right. Yeah. Coming um, from that place instead. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm going to put everything in the show notes. Um, I love the title of your cancer recovery program. That's pretty cool. Thrive Method. Um, <laughs> thank you for your time. Well, thank you so much for having me here. And um, I loved uh, just spending some time with you guys. Mm-hmm.